Hey everyone, and welcome to another Overflow pod. This is Matt, and we're in our series about work. And last pod, I mentioned that there is no difference between secular and religious areas of our life. God wants to be a part of all of our life, not just certain parts of our lives. And he uses all of our lives to help us grow spiritually, including work. And our time at work isn't just about earning a paycheck, but rather it's an important part of our life where we can grow spiritually as well as do ministry. Ministry just isn't something we do at church or specific events, but really it includes work as well. The Bible says in Titus 3.14, our people must learn to spend their times doing good and providing for real needs. They should not live useless lives. When it says our people, who's it talking about? It's talking about Christians. If you're a believer, the way you approach work should be totally different from the way everybody else approaches their work normally. For a Christian, there are two purposes behind work. One, you got to do good. That's called ministry. Two, provide for real needs. That's called productivity. God wants you to be productive in your work and he wants you to minister through it. It says they should not live useless lives. When I think of useless or unproductive work, the first thought that comes into my mind is that old Dilbert comic. And Dilbert was pretty funny, but it's kind of dated. So maybe I can also think of Homer Simpson at the nuclear power plant or maybe Dwight Schrute or Michael Scott in the office sitcom. And you're probably familiar with one of those. And what's, what's great about them is that they are so funny because they are a reflection of what our work is really like. And many people in many workplaces are basically just marking time. They're just watching the clock, waiting for the day to be over so they can go home. They don't love their work. They don't enjoy their work. And they certainly don't produce anything. They're just marking time. But work should be much more than just marking time. God doesn't want you to simply mark time. He wants you to mark lives. He wants you to make an impact with your life. He wants you to influence people for good. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, God gave us new lives from Christ, and long ago we planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. That's called ministry. We are saved by God to serve. Jesus died on a cross for us to forgive us our sins, to give us hope, forgiveness, and a new life where we live for God, not for ourselves. So it's not just about marking time, but about marking or influencing lives, making a difference in someone's life. This is ministry, and that's what we're made for. No matter what kind of work you do, whether it be in sales, management, self-employed, service industry, education industry, working in your home, working out of your home, whatever it is, the Bible says God wants you to use your work to help other people. That's called ministry. One of the basic truths in the Bible is we serve God by serving other people. So how do we do it? How can our work be a ministry? Well, let me be clear. I don't think work is a place to actively evangelize your coworkers. I'm not that guy. I don't advocate beating people over the head with the truths of the Bible, period, or even at, especially not at work. This is not what I'm referring to when I think of ministry, but that's what people think of. What I'm thinking about is what Corinthians says, do all your work in love. That's the key. The key to turning your work into a ministry is not what you do or what you say. It's how you do it. That's the key. First Corinthians tells us 
that I may accomplish all kinds of things, but if I don't do it in love, what does it say? It's worthless. God wants you to work in love. When you do work with the attitude of love, God says it turns just normal, menial work, regardless of what it is, into ministry. So what can we practically do to achieve that? Well, the Bible gives us three ways. The first way has to do with our coworkers or our clients, our customers, people you work with, or anybody you see on a regular basis in your job, in your workplace. And what does it want us to do? Number one, accept them unconditionally. Every week, you spend about 40 hours side by side with all kinds of, let's be honest, weird people. (laughs) And they all have hurts and hangups and all kinds of problems in their lives, habits that you don't like. They're obnoxious people you work with. They're difficult people you work with. They're prideful, immoral, angry, lazy people you work with. And all these people, you have to deal with them on a regular basis. We're all in different shapes and sizes, and we all have different hangups. How does God want me to react to those difficult people I work with? Well, the Bible says he wants you to accept them. That is the Christian thing to do. Accept them as Christ does. Notice Romans 15. Accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. Then God will be glorified. When you accept a person that you really don't like, the Bible says God is glorified. You have actually done ministry by doing that. And that is good because we all need acceptance. It's one of our most basic needs is that we want to be accepted. Down Deep down inside, the way we dress, the kind of car we drive, we just want people to accept us. And everybody around us wants the same thing. It's very important. All of us need acceptance because none of us are perfect. We're all in the same boat. We've all blown it. We all have mistakes. We all have failures. We all have major imperfections. And if you expect perfection from people, you're just going to get frustrated. The Bible is basically saying, cut people some slack. Give people a little room. We all blow it. We all make mistakes. And we need to learn from it and accept each other. But how can you accept that jerk at work? That is so hard to accept people that you absolutely cannot stand. And to be honest, they offer you nothing. How can you accept them? Well, the key is to look past their behavior and see their hurt, their pain. Beneath that obnoxious or immoral or dishonest or lazy or prideful behavior, you know what's there? It's some deep hurt. Everybody's hurting. Hurt people hurt people. The reason somebody hurts you is because they're hurting inside. The reason why someone talks bad about you is because that's how bad about they're feeling about themselves. And when I don't feel good about myself, I certainly don't want you feeling good about yourself. I walk around being sarcastic and obnoxious, trying to put you down to make myself better. All because of the hurt that's in my life that I can't fix, that I can't medicate, that I can't deal with. And what you need to do is when you see people, you got to look past the behavior which irritates you or you disagree with and see the hurt underneath. It's a lot easier to be sympathetic with with hurt than it is with anger or irritation. Look past the behavior and see the hurt. Then you can accept them. One of the amazing things is that the people you work with, those who deserve your love the least, they need it the most. 
Those who are the least lovable are the ones who need it. God says if you want to be like Christ at work, you need to accept other people, period. One of the most impactful verses in my life that really changed my thought process is James 2.13. says, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. When I first read that verse, I was like, whoa. I cannot be judgmental to anyone because I realize how bad I am. And I know what I've done. And God has been so merciful to me. I have not had to deal with a lot of things in life because he's been merciful. And you know what? Mercy triumphs over judgment. So you know what? When I view somebody, when I look at somebody, when I see somebody, I will always cut them some slack because it's the only way to witness, to to accept everyone, to minister to people at work. You can't minister and judge at the same time. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And if all Christians could accept that phrase, it's in the Bible, live your life by it, then maybe we wouldn't have so many hypocritical, judgmental Christians running around. It drives me up the wall. Be accepting. Cut people slack. If you really want to deal with people, there are people at work you disagree with, they may use, gasp, improper language. They may use God's name in vain all the time. They may be living some lifestyle that you just can't stand and that you obviously know it's wrong, but but they think it's right. But if you're going to minister to people, you can't be shocked by them. I've seen every kind of sin known to man. I've heard it all. Nothing shocks me. You can tell me anything and I wouldn't get shocked because it's human behavior. It's also funny to me when I run into people I haven't seen in a few years. And they ask me, I remember after I graduated from college, and then I graduated from seminary and I would, and I, since I, I came back to, to Delaware, I was in PA doing my master's. And when I came back and I ran into people and they haven't seen me for a few years, they asked me what I was doing. And I told them, and the most common response was, nope, <laughs> are you effing kidding me? And uh, let's just leave it at that. <laughs> That's the response because, well, I guess you could say I used to be a wee little bit out of control. Okay, let me be honest. I was completely out of control. I was wild. It makes for some great self-deprecating sermon illustration and warnings to my kids what not to do. It's because I know what grace God has shown me. He's been gracious in my faults, my sins, all the skeletons in my closet. The Bible says if God has been gracious to you, you need to be gracious to other people. Now, let me be clear. Let me be very, very clear. There's a big difference between acceptance and approval. You can accept somebody without approving of their lifestyle. You can show love to a person without saying what they're doing is okay. A lot of people are doing things that aren't okay. And God says it's wrong and it's self-defeating. It's damaging. It's harmful even. But you can still accept them and not hit them over the head with it just because of what you perceive is wrong. Because it's not your job to convict That's the Holy Spirit. That's God working on the person. It's not your job. Your job is to accept them, to love them. And Jesus was the model for this. He loved everybody in spite of their sins. I mean, who did he hang out with? Who did he deal with? He didn't hang out with people who went to church. He didn't hang out with the religious people. Oh, no, no, no. He would be the one going to bars. He would be the ones going to all kinds of places that you would never expect to see him at. 
one of my favorite stories in the Bible is where Jesus approaches someone who is obviously does not approve of their behavior. And it was a test brought by the religious leaders who brought a woman to him who'd been caught in the act of adultery. And they wanted Jesus to immediately judge her. Jesus did not put her down. The first thing he did was defend her dignity. He protected her. He showed her value because she's valuable even if she's done the wrong thing. The first thing he said was, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone at her. Of course, everybody in the crowd had blown it themselves and they began to slowly walk away. And once the crowd dispersed, Jesus looks at the woman and says, where are your accusers? She said, they've all gone away. He said, well, neither do I accuse you. That's a big one right there. Neither do I accuse you. He told everybody without sin to get lost, and they did. He's left, and he still didn't accuse her. You know what he says? He says, go and sin no more. That's it. That's all he's going to say to this woman. He could have pulled out a three-point sermon on adultery and say, you've blown it because of this, this, and this. But Jesus depend, defends her publicly. Was she was what she did wrong? Yeah, absolutely. Adultery is wrong. It's He defends her publicly. And then in the privacy of a one-on-one conversation, he still protects her dignity and value. And he simply says, don't do it anymore. Instead of pointing out her past and listing all the times that she did it, instead of listing all the times where she would feel guilty, imagine what she's going through in that moment where she is brought before Jesus and he is simply looking at her, probably smiling. Remember, before this, while he was listening, he's simply drawing in the dirt. And she's sitting there and she's probably so scared and so afraid. And when everybody leaves, she probably breathes a sigh of relief. But now she's probably feeling very insecure because she's sitting here with this great man of God. That's all she probably knows at the time. All he says to her was, go and sin no more. That's it. He protected her dignity and value and he didn't point out her past and what was wrong. He simply says, change your direction. Go a different way now. You know, when we think about people, when we look at people, when we look at even ourselves, we dwell so much on our past misbehavior that we forget that that's not the point. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter what we did. All it matters is, you know what? Tomorrow will be different. That's what matters. And we get guilt because of it. And we let guilt reign in our lives and it'll paralyze you instead of letting grace reign. Let grace take over. Because that's what God gives us through Jesus is grace, not guilt. That's why our past is forgiven. That's why when Jesus died for us on the cross, all of our sins are forgiven. Past, present, and future, every single one. That means every single sin that you will commit, that you still have not committed, God has already forgiven it. That is mind blown. And it should be freeing. And it's not like, oh, now I can sin whatever I want. No, 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 no. When you truly understand grace, you're just not going to want to do it again. And then when you do it, you're going to be like, don't, messed up. All right, let's change it. That's what God wants. He wants your change. He just points out a direction. And we miss that point so often in our lives when we dwell on the past. And that's what you do when you relate with people who are blowing it. You don't start beating them up over their past. Has nagging worked on you? Does nagging cause you to change? It doesn't work in the office. It doesn't work at home. It doesn't work in church. That's why I don't nag. But the fact is, what we need is somebody to help us change. You can help somebody change without 
first accepting them. That's where it's got to begin. You have to accept them. I value you. But you know what? We all have warts. <laughs> Christians have a huge problem focusing on the wrong things. We focus on the superficial, the outside, the appearance. And what we want changed, to be honest, is our outside behavior. I remember growing up, I went to a Christian school up to 10th grade. And it was so strict and regimented. And you know what? People could say all kinds of stuff as long as they looked a certain way. People could think all kinds of way. They didn't care. They just wanted you to look the part, act the part. And when you were told to do things, do the part. But in reality, it was just all surface. We focus so much on the superficial. Take cursing, for example. If I were to swear in church giving a sermon, they would throw me out as a pastor. But I hear pastors every Sunday constantly cutting people down, being judgmental, saying the motive that people have in their hearts when they do something. It's impossible for them to know what's going on in someone's heart. The Bible even says that. So if you say, oh, this person did it because of this, no, you're wrong. Because the Bible says you never know what causes someone to do something. We focus on the wrong things. The Bible doesn't lay out words for us to stay away from because it isn't about that. What's more important rather is the tone, the negativity. We confuse some vague concept of moralism with what God desires. What God desires from our mouths is in Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Okay, that is so much easier than saying, don't say these four words. (laughs) That's the standard. You put someone down, in my mind, that's what God doesn't want us to do. You use a swear word as an adjective, who cares? I know some cultures, they just use swears as adjectives and that's all they mean. But man, you put some Christians around them, how could you say that? How could you talk like that? And the holier than thou image comes out and it makes me want to vomit. Okay, Matt, tell them how you really feel. (laughs) Anyway, God desires the inside. He desires our hearts, not some superficial morality construct that we've devised because it's easy to just not say certain things. Being a pastor, I can tell you the worst language that I ever hear is spoken by people in the church. No cusses, just pure, vicious, vile, and it makes me sad. So you want to minister at work, accept people unconditionally. Second, affirm people continually. This means treat them with dignity because they matter to God. If you want to stand out in your company, one secret that'll put your head and shoulders above everyone else, here it is. Be an encourager. When you get known for being an encourager, your company, you're going to rise because encouragement is very difficult to find. The Bible says encourage each other and build each other up. You know who you want to hang out with? People who always cheer you on. That's who you want to hang out with. That's so important, especially today in America, because we live in a super negative culture. Most people get far more criticism than cheers. We live in a society where the number one form of humor is what? Put downs. People constantly at work are demeaned and degraded. They're the butt of sarcastic insults. They're put down, criticized, maligned. And when someone comes along and says, good job, it's so rare that you'll stand out like a star on an on a dark night when you become an encourager. Unfortunately, in most workplaces, the message comes through loud and clear that you really don't matter 
to God and you don't matter to us. In fact, you don't matter at all. All that matters is your job. And as long as you reach the quota of your work, keep your nose clean and put in your time, we don't care about anything else. We're not interested in your life outside this job. We could care less. Just show up for work and do your job. Just help the company and then get lost. And the message comes through loud and clear that you're only valued for the job is the talent and energy you put into it. Beyond that, they couldn't care less about what you do. What only matters is what you do for us. But God calls us to do the exact opposite. God says, as believers, we are to value everyone. Jesus says to those people you work with, I made them. I created them. Not only did I send Jesus to die for them, that's how much they matter. That's how much they're valued. When you look around at people, even people who are insulting you and putting you down, who view God as nothing, who don't believe in him or just make fun of him constantly, he still sent a son for them. So when you affirm people, you raise their value. And when you appreciate people, you raise their value. That's what appreciation does. It raises their value. So how can you affirm people? By noticing them. They're probably people you work with that you don't even notice. By listening to them, by applauding their contributions, by being interested in more than just their work, but also their life beyond work. By including them rather than excluding them at events. Let me emphasize three ways that come straight from the Bible. The first way you can appreciate them or raise their value is number one, listen to them. Galatians 6.2 says, share each other's troubles and problems and in this way, obey the law of Christ. One of the greatest gifts you can give people is an attentive ear. Here you go, dads. One of the greatest things you can give your kids is look them straight in the eye and listen to them when they're talking. It says, I value you. I value you what you have to say. Especially when they're rambling for over 15 minutes on a specific cheer routine that you could care absolutely nothing about. <sighs> look them right in the eye and listen. Even ask them questions. Husbands, one of the greatest gifts you can give your wife is to look her straight in the eye and listen to her. When she wakes from fainting, <laughs> you can tell her that you love her. Then she'll faint again. <laughs> you matter. You have to value the other person. I think what you have to say is important. And every time you genuinely listen to people at work, you're ministering to them when they're talking about something that's a part of their life. You're ministering them when they're talking about something they care about. By listening, I show that I care. It says by doing this, you obey the law of Christ. And what's the law of Christ? The greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. You like to be listened to? So does everybody else. Probably even more. A second way to affirm people is to use positive words, which we mentioned earlier in Ephesians 4.29. I'll read it again. Speak only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Not your needs, but theirs. That's my words that it may benefit those who listen. God wants us as believers to be people builders, not people users. Most of the world is filled with people users. And God says, when you speak positive words of encouragement to people and you build them up, good job, nice try, whatever. I appreciate what you did. You say a positive word, it gives hope. You're ministering to people. Would you like to know how to change someone who doesn't want to change? Treat them the way you want them to become as if they've already become it. That's called speaking in faith. And people tend to live up to your expectations of them. Husbands, do you want your wife to treat you as a king? Hi, of course. Then treat her like a queen. We're all the, like little puppy dogs. Anytime you get one word of criticism, we tend to sulk. 
But if somebody gives you one word of praise, you can go two weeks and think about that. You remember it over and over again. You don't know the power of your words. I do. When I was a pastor, I would be throwing criticism. Oh, for every, I would say anywhere between two to a 200 to 1,000 words of criticism I received, I would receive one positive comment. That's just a guess. And I'm recalling my memory, and I really feel that that's accurate. Because I remember almost every single positive word that's ever been said to me. I don't remember all the criticism. I just know they're there. You can go a couple weeks on one good compliment. You remember it over and over. You don't know the power. The Bible says when you do that to people, you're ministering to them. If they make any effort to be getting more mature, more productive, whatever, when you see something good in their life, compliment them. And you know what? That area will grow. What you compliment tends to grow. So if you want them to grow in a certain way, compliment in that area. Third way you can affirm people is by praying for them. 2 Corinthians 1.11, you are helping us by praying for us. Make a prayer list for the people you work with. Make a list, put it in your Bible, pray for them, put it in your phone, whatever. Watch what happens in your office and on your job site. You can't pray for people and not see them start to change. They will. And I encourage you to tell them that you're praying for them. Even ask them, what do you want me to pray about? Even unbelievers appreciate people praying for them. Because then why not cover all the bases? <laughs> can't hurt, you know. Every time you do that, you're building a bridge on which you can minister to people. Write down a person if you want this week and encourage them. You will affirm them either through positive words or listening to them or praying for them. Write down a name of somebody you work with, somebody that you want to do that with. So accept them unconditionally. Affirm them continually. And third, assist them eagerly. Be willing to lend a hand in a practical way. Lend a hand, do an errand, provide a meal, babysit, help with a project. Thousands of ways you can assess people in a practical way. Galatians 6.3 says, if you think you are too important to help someone in need, you're only fooling yourselves. If you're really, you're really a nobody. God isn't impressed with your status. He's impressed with your service. God doesn't care about your status because he made you. Look at all these symbols I got in my life. All these letters after my name. God says, I want to know about your service. I didn't put you on the earth to have status. I put you on the earth to have service. Jesus said it like this. If you want to be great, learn to be a servant of all. Jesus modeled that. Matthew 20 said, your attitude must be like my own, for I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Jesus said, my purpose in coming to earth is to serve. What is your purpose? In our nature, we want to be served. I can tell you, I don't want to serve anybody. I want to be served. I want people to wait on me. I want people to help me do things for me. That's why we love birthdays so much, you know, because people kind of wait on us and do stuff. That's why we like going out to eat because we don't have to cook and clean. We have people doing that for us. We enjoy it. We want people to wait on us. Yet the mark of a Christian is the moment you become a believer, your attitude starts to change. Now, we're all full of good intentions, but we just get too busy. But good intentions are never enough. The Bible says whenever possible, do good to those who need it. Never tell your neighbor to wait until tomorrow if you can help him now. Because to be honest, when we procrastinate, sometimes it's too late. Here's the question. Who in your office at your work site who is barely hanging on by a fingernail? Make it your business to know. 
Maybe someone's in so much pain and so much hurt that they're barely making it through the day. They need you. That's what being a Christian is all about. People all around you who are hurting and they're bleeding and behind the smile and facade on the inside, they're dying. And they're all people all around you who have a major hurt in their life. Why don't you help them? Because we're too busy to notice. You say, but I've got problems. I've got things in my own life. I've got things to do. I've got goals to achieve. I can barely handle my own issues. I don't have time for ministry. I don't have the ability to minister. <sighs> if you don't have the time, you're living too selfishly. It's too, your life is too self-centered. God put you on this life to live more than just yourself. And if you're worried about your own well-being... This is something I've learned is that the more you help other people, you really help yourself. You're depressed, help someone who's depressed. And you know what? Your depression will lessen. Whatever, if you're feeling that you're not good enough, help somebody and all of a sudden you'll feel better. It's, it's weird how it works. So think about a person this week you want to offer practical assistance to. That maybe you'll help them. Put down a name. Ask them. Pick up the phone. How you doing? Sometimes a phone call can save a person's life. Sometimes a phone call can turn a person around. But why should I do this? Why should I be involved in using my work as a ministry? Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, In all the work you're doing, work the best you can. Work as if you were doing it for the Lord, not for people. Remember, you'll receive your reward from the Lord. You're actually working for God. Jesus said it like this, anything you've done for one of my brothers here on earth, however humble, you've done it for me. For a believer, if you claim to be a Christian, work is never just a job. It's a ministry. It's an opportunity to show Jesus' love to the people around you. See, we serve God by serving others. I hear people say, I wish I could quit my job and I could serve God full time. Wrong. You don't have to quit your job to serve full God full time. You can do it right now. You can do it by serving chalupas at Taco Bell. <laughs> don't quit your day job. Just use it for God and serve him full time. What God is looking for is full service Christians in a self-serving world. Get started today. Stop doing business as usual and start to make a difference in people's lives at work. Let God use you to show his love to people. Accept them unconditionally. Affirm them continually. Assist them eagerly. And if you do those three, then you can begin to show God's love to people all around you and your work will be a ministry. Well, I hope that encouraged you today. And next week we have Easter, so I'll be doing a special Easter pod. So see you then. God bless.